Good morning, church. It is good to be with you today. I'm so, so thankful for your presence today. I want to uh, add my welcome to those of you who are here in the room or those who may be watching online. If you're a guest this morning, we want to uh, say a special welcome to you and uh, hope you'll stick around after worship and give us a chance to, uh, to visit with you and get to know you a little bit. Uh, Chris mentioned some of this, but we have a lot of great things going on in the life of our church right now. I want to encourage you to get a bulletin. Uh, there's a lot of things to be involved in. There's some things we need your help with in regard to things like our budget process for 2024 and the stewardship uh, pledge cards that, uh, that he mentioned. I want to take just a moment, if I may, and highlight one of the things that's in your bulletin. Uh, that was initially announced about six weeks or so ago, Night to Shine. Uh, if you've missed our announcements about this or you've not heard for one reason or another, uh, Night to Shine is a prom night experience uh, for people with special needs uh, ages 14 and up that we are hosting here at this building on February the 9th of next year. Um, and uh, we need you to volunteer. Uh, you do not need special skills to volunteer for this event. There's going to be a volunteer training at the beginning of next year uh, where you'll learn some things to help you kind of to serve in, in this way. Um, one reason we need a lot of volunteers that I want to just kind of remind you about if you missed our initial announcement about this is that every person who is referred to as a king or a queen, because at the prom, they, everybody gets a crown, so everybody gets uh, crowned a king or a queen. Every person that is a king or a queen and that comes to attend our event, this event happens all over the country. There's one in Forney. There's one here. There's, uh, there's another church, I think, that applied to host one in Canton or Maybank or somewhere. Um, so they're all over the place, and you can kind of find those locations if you were to look it up. But our location uh, is going to have about 75 kings and queens. And every king or queen that is here needs a buddy to stay with them over the course of the evening. And so that's one of the reasons we need a lot of volunteers. Uh, and so it doesn't have to just be our church. You can invite anybody that you think might have a heart for this. Uh, and so I want to encourage you to do that. Um, you're going to he keep hearing us talk about this over the next several months, um, but we need you to register if you're going to volunteer so that we can know that you're planning to help and be a part of that. Uh, and so you, you can find a QR code in the bulletin, scan that QR code. It'll take you to our website where you can register to volunteer. Uh, there are a lot of ways to volunteer. Being a buddy for one of these boys or girls, men or women, is going to be a big part of that. But I, I, I just want to say I'm biased, but I think this is going to be an awesome kingdom of God event that if you're not a part of, uh, this is not intended to shame or guilt anybody. I'm just saying, uh, being honest, I think if you're not a part of it, you're going to wish you were afterwards. So I'm telling you now to be involved in it so that you don't have to go through that regret, right? So go to, the, go to sign up and volunteer. It's going to be a great event that I want, uh, want you to be a part of. So thank you in advance for that. I just wanted to, again, highlight that because it's been uh, a while since we've talked about that. And sometimes I know if you're like me, you see things in the bulletin and they're there long enough over a period of time and you sort of forget that they're there. So... With that, that's the, only, that's the commercial that I have this morning. Uh, we have just two weeks left in this series that we have been in, Upside Down Kingdom. And after these two weeks, we're going to have a special Thanksgiving service uh, on the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And then the Sunday after that, the first Sunday of December, we'll begin what is one of my favorite times of the year, the season of Advent and Christmas. Uh, but two weeks left in this series uh, where we've been looking at stories throughout this series uh, looking at parables and stories in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven. And these stories are, are as you have 
uh, heard, if you've been here for any of the weeks of this series, they are often odd and confusing, very often disorienting as they sort of challenge the ways that we think about different things. But every story has a purpose, and their purpose is to shake us from kind of the the normal assumptions that we make about the way that we see God and God's ways in the world and help us, the stories are designed to help us to perceive and to begin to understand in a clearer way the world that Jesus calls the kingdom of heaven. And, uh, and so we've been looking at these stories and I really would, I, I personally feel like this is a series that is helpful. If you've ever wondered before, like what exactly it is that you are a part of in this life of following Jesus with the body of Christ. I think this series is a good is a helpful tool in helping you understand what it is exactly that you're a part of because story after story after story Jesus is comparing the kingdom of heaven to a variety of different things. And so there's, it's not just one thing, right? It's a lot of different things. There's all the stories are a little different. And so today we're going to be in one of those stories in Matthew chapter 22, a story that is uh, sometimes referred to as the parable of the great banquet, uh, sometimes referred to as the parable of the wedding banquet. I have titled this sermon, a kingdom wedding. Uh, And this story shows up in Matthew 22. It also shows up in Luke 14, which we're not going to read together this morning. But those two accounts are very different. It's almost as if Jesus, like every good preacher, doesn't just, it's not Luke and Matthew not agreeing, right? It's just that they, uh, he tells the story more than once. And and he sort of, he takes, like a good preacher, takes his material and he reimagines it for a different audience. And so uh, this story in Matthew 22, very different from the version that Luke records in Luke 14. But I want to start uh, Matthew's version in Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. This is what Matthew says. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Now I want to stop there for just a minute. Matthew starts the story this way and says he spoke to them Again, I want to highlight those two words for just a minute and so we can have a bit of context. There's a lot of context, actually, before we're going to get to the rest of the parable. Uh, but I want to give us a bit of a kind of a background. So the them in this sentence that, G- that Matthew uses is the Jewish leaders, the chief priests and the Pharisees. And the again, he's saying he's speaking to them again because Jesus has been telling parables prior to this moment that are directly pointed at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And, and because Jesus is telling these very direct, very pointed stories, they aren't happy with him. In fact, the words at the end of Matthew chapter 21 say this. Pick, you, I'm going to pick up in verse 45. It'll be up here on the screen. It says, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, because they, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. So they don't want to arrest him because they know that that will create more problems, right? They also uh, don't want to, and they, and they don't want to just arrest him because he's telling these stories. I mean, it's not that they're just, they just don't like him as a storyteller. It's that these stories are pointed and they're sharp and they're cutting and they're clearly saying, 
that communicating that he's talking to them. He's talking to these folks who are who are living in this in this space of Jerusalem and who are leading the Israelite people, the Jewish people, uh, into a place of following God. So they also want to arrest him, though. That, those words there come at the end of Matthew 21. Those are the last words in Matthew chapter 21. And so the other reason that they want to arrest him, in addition to that he's telling these very pointed stories directed at them, is that Jesus, before this, Jesus has gone into Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, he found, in the temple, he found people inside the temple who were buying and selling things in the courtyard. And, this, and Jesus wasn't okay with this. And the reason that he wasn't okay with this is because all of these little pop-up shops, we might call them, that are scattered around the court of Gentiles in the temple meant that the Gentiles who were coming to worship God couldn't come and worship God. And they were preventing people from worship, worshiping God. So Jesus does something. You can read about this in the beginning of Matthew 21. Very drastic. And it's often misinterpreted what he's doing. But he goes in. It's not, a, it's not a justification for us to be angry. I've heard the story of Jesus going into the temple. And people were like, well, Jesus got angry. I can get angry too. That's not the point of the story. He does something very drastic because he's upset that people have turned God's house a place where people were coming to worship into a place that people were unable to worship because of all the distractions that were there. And so he goes in the temple courts and he starts flipping tables over. He starts tearing down these pop-up shops that people have set up. And then he makes a whip like Indiana Jones and starts driving people out of the temple. And he calls them a bunch of thieves and people are all really ticked off at him because he doesn't, they don't like the way that he's talking to them, the way that he's behaving. Right, which you can imagine if someone stormed in the, into the temple and they began to do that, it would, it would not make him the most popular person in the room. It wouldn't make him very well liked. So a lot of that is the, the, what he came into the temple and did on top of the fact that he's telling these very pointed stories at them is all together is the reason that they want to arrest him. But they know that they can't arrest him because arresting him will make things worse for them. You with me still? And so it's a really important moment in all of this comes in Matthew 21 when these Jewish leaders come to Jesus and they say this in verse 23. I think I have a slide. It says, Jesus entered the temple courts and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him and said, by what authority are you doing all the things that you're doing? They asked. And who gave you the authority to do all these things? It's like saying, in my words, who do you think you are? right? You're not in charge. We're obviously in charge as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the leaders, spiritual leaders of Israel. Who do you think you are? We're the ones in charge. And they challenge Jesus. And they're mad because they think that they run the place. And Jesus, in a very Jesus sort of way, he, you know, he says, actually, you're not in charge. And he says, and, and, they, and he says, I'll answer your question by whose authority I do this if you answer a question of mine first, like they're in junior high or something, you know? And they won't answer his question. And so Jesus goes, I'm not answering your question either. You can read all about that in Matthew 21, but all of that is, leads to Jesus in Matthew 21 telling a series of two, two parables and then a third parable, which he tells in Matthew 22, which we're about to read together. I just want to show you a summary of these parables that he tells. The parable of the two sons, the parable of the vineyard workers, and the parable of the wedding banquet, which we'll look at in just a minute. The first two parables, the parable of the two sons, is Jesus speaking about them rejecting John the Baptist. 
And the parable of vineyard workers is Jesus speaking to them about them rejecting the prophets and Jesus. And then the parable of the wedding banquet is a, reject, is a rejection of the message of the kingdom of God and Jesus, the messenger that will, will be sent. And all of these three parables together, Jesus is exploring this idea of rejection and the kingdom of heaven. People have a choice. The teachers of the law, the Jewish religious leaders, they aren't accepting what God is doing. And so Jesus is addressing this through these stories. And so again, today we're going to look at the third of those parables, the parable of the wedding banquet. And I want to warn you that there is a challenge with this parable. It, 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 you know, there's a challenge because it doesn't say honestly what we want it to say. Luke's version is a lot more gracious than Matthew's version, at, first, at least at first glance. Uh, maybe, maybe a better way to say it is I don't know that we understand when we first read it what exactly it is saying. And there's a lot going on in the story. And so we're going to dig in together uh, and try to understand what it is exactly that Jesus is saying. So I'm going to pick up in verse 2. Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited do not des did not deserve to come. Go, so go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people that they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That escalated quickly, didn't it? For many are invited, but few are chosen. The parables start with Jesus telling us, this parable tell, starts with Jesus telling us that the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepares a wedding feast for his son and invites a bunch of guests. And, and they're already invited. They know that they're invited. And because mailing wedding invitations weren't a thing yet, he sent his servants out to spread the word that the, the wedding was, the party was ready. So he says, come to the party. You're invited already. Come to the party. But everyone that was invited, Matthew tells us here as he records Jesus' story, refuses to come to the party. But the king is unfazed. He sends another round of servants. And these servants receive the same message as the first. Come, you know, they give the same message as the first group. Come to the party. It's going to be a feast. We have barbecue, right? We've killed the fattened calf and we've prepared it for everybody that's going to come. But again, they ignore the invitation. Maybe it was accidental. Maybe some of them had just forgotten about it. Maybe some of them, like has happened to you or me, got the, the you know, invitation in the mail and stuck it on the refrigerator and then life happened and you got busy and you forgot and all of a sudden, oh no, there's a wedding that we're supposed to attend and we forgot about it. We didn't save the date, right? 
But there are others, that, that's, that might be a group of people, but that's not the majority of this group, right? There are others that just outright ignore the invitation altogether. And then there are others, again, in a moment that seems to escalate very quickly that make very clear what they think about the king and his party, what they think about the king's son and the wedding altogether. They capture the servants and they kill the servants. And this is where the story takes an interesting turn. The king responds to their violence. These people that had already been invited, but it just, they just won't accept the invitation. And he burns the city and he, and he makes a point, right? And he, and he goes out to the streets. But it's important to notice that the king doesn't just send messengers once. He doesn't just send messengers, it says twice, but there's something there that's message, you know, con- intended to be communicated in that message. It's as if the king is begging people to come. Come on, he's saying, join the party. One thing that Jesus is doing in this story is he's making a statement here about the history that Israel has in their relationship with God, right? God not only sent the invitation twice, but God sent the invitation over and over and over and over again. This is the story, you could say, of the Old Testament. God implores his people to come back into a covenant relationship with him and to keep the covenant that they have agreed to because they are always unfaithful. They're always turning away from God. But God doesn't ever give up. He sends prophet after prophet. He, send, he, he finds a way to continue to pursue the people. And often they kill the people that God sends to them. They even, in Jesus' story, kill the prophet that came before him, John the Baptist. But we read this, and if you're like me, we're like, okay. But why would the king in the story burn down a city just because someone refused to come to their party? Part of the the challenge with us as we hear this story as people, we hear it today living in 21st century America. And, And I've referenced that in several of the weeks in this series because our culture does shape how we read these stories. In our culture that is very individualistic, is very focused on us and our needs, we do not see ourselves as connected, really connected, to each other in the way that these folks would have seen themselves connected to each other, right? This culture was more of an honor-shame culture. Another way to say that is that in this culture, they, they saw that their actions, the way they behaved, the way they responded, the way they didn't respond toward you was sort of a direct, it was, it would either bring honor or dishonor to you. And as you know, this is not how our culture relates to each other, right? I see what you do as your decision, whether I agree with it or not, and you see what I do as my decision, whether you agree with it or not. We might voice our concern, but we, we have this sort of underlying thing that we think, it's like, well, it's not my deal. That's their life, right? This is how you know that you live in a culture that thinks about life the way that we do, because this is not the way everybody is but we have been shaped by the culture that we live in. And I say that because in their culture, people would hear the invitation, and Jesus knows this when he's telling this story. They would, he would know that the people would, would hear the king offering an invitation to come to the wedding banquet uh, as almost like a command, right? Not an option. This is the king. When the king calls, you respond. This would be like us getting an invitation to the White House and being like, I'm good, right? 
For a person to not go is essentially saying we reject you as king. And so as a kingdom parable, part of what this story is teaching is how rejection in the kingdom of heaven works. And in the story, the people that are invited represent the Jewish people and the Jewish leaders and the messengers or the prophets. And Jesus is even in the story. He doesn't name himself in the story. He's the unnamed character that the party is being thrown for in the first place. And the city is Jerusalem and the whole story of Israel up to now has been God rescue. Think about what you know about Israel, God rescuing them out of slavery and forming them into a people so that they would become a light for the world. This is what God told Abraham. I'm going to make you a people that you'll be a blessing to the nations. And by rejecting God as king, they're turning away from their ability to be the people that God has called them to be. And actually what happens is this is just a story that Jesus makes up, but in real life, just 40 years after he tells this story, this is actually what happens. The city of Jerusalem is destroyed in AD 70. Rome comes into Jerusalem, tears down the temple, massacres a bunch of people, and drives the survivors into exile permanently. And so Jesus is telling a story that is in some ways happening now and in some ways going to happen in the future. And then the story continues. Jesus says that there will be a party. Even though this mess has been made of this invitation, there is still going to be a party even if people reject the king. Even if God sends the, the message and the people don't receive the message, there will still be a party. Our, the, 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 you know, the reception of the message is not dependent upon whether the party is happening or not. The party is happening even if the messengers are killed, which is why in the story, Jesus now tells us that the king says to his servants, those who were invited did not deserve to come. They were, in other words, too preoccupied with their own lives or their own thoughts, or they just, and they couldn't accept what God was doing in the world, and so they just outright reject the party altogether. I'm going to remind you of what it says in verse 9, 22 verse 9. It says, so Jesus says, so go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Jesus says that they went out to the busiest intersections in town and they found every person that they could find to invite to the party. And then Jesus includes this really important line, the people that are invited are the good and the bad. And here again, we find grace in this story. And you see this over and over and over again in Jesus' stories, the good Samaritan, the prodigal son, the Pharisee and the tax collector, the parable of the wheat and the weeds, grace in every story. And the word there, the bad, is like the wicked ones, right? Or people you might think, or I might think, are God's enemies, or maybe morally bankrupt. God says, come on in. Everybody is invited to the party. Everybody is welcome. Jesus is opening up the kingdom to everyone. And to his audience, the Jews, he was saying in a, in a real way, he was saying, just because your leaders are rejecting the king and the invitation and killing God's messengers, you are still welcome. And to us as Gentiles, as people who would be welcomed into the party later, he's saying, you're welcome too. Come and join the party that God has prepared 
for you. And so the king invites everyone and everyone is a sinner. And some trust the invitation and some don't pay attention to it. But one way or another, the wedding hall is going to be filled with guests. And then the story takes another turn at the end, picking up in verse 13. This happens. They find, they find this person that is not dressed in wedding clothes. And the king tells the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are invited, but few are chosen. A guest is found in the party with, without the right wedding clothes and he's asked about it and Jesus says the man is speechless. And so he's thrown out of the party and where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, which some of you have heard explained as sort of this, this way of thinking about hell, that this is, this is what's happening to him. I'm not sure that's what Jesus has in mind exactly in this story. This, this moment does certainly feel like a bit of whiplash because in one moment, the king is inviting everybody to the party. And in the next moment, he's throwing people out of the party. So what exactly is going on here? And certainly there is a lot more going on. The first thing I'll say is that in Jewish culture, a huge emphasis was put on celebrations and making sure that you were dressed appropriately for those celebrations. So the guest in this story Right? All the guests that, that, in that last group that, that had been invited when it, whenever the servants went out to the street corners and found whoever they could find, the good and the bad. All of those guests would have had or had been, they would have been given on the way into the party something to wear. But this person, this guest, didn't wear it. And his choice to not wear the clothing was a statement really about his heart. It's like he's saying, I want the party but I don't want the one throwing the party. You with me? I want the party, but I don't really want the one throwing the party. I still want to make a statement about what I think about you, king, but I do want to take advantage of all the things you have to offer. And one reason this is so important, I, I, this is not a parable that any preacher reading through the, the gospel of Matthew thinks, man, I can't wait to preach that sermon, right? But one reason I think it is so important to talk about parables like this friends, is because there are people in your life, maybe some of us in this room this morning, who wrestle with faith in God. And they will use stories like this to go, see, see, God wasn't sincere. God really didn't want everybody invited. This story, whether you've realized it before this moment or not, confirms for some people that the way that they maybe imagine God being portrayed is right. As, as this angry, vindictive God that says that everybody's invited to the party, but then secretly there are just a few that he's actually interested in. And there are those who think that this, those who think that this will, you know, this, they'll point to this man being thrown into the darkness. This last line of the story is sort of the, the punchline of the story. Many are invited, but few are chosen. And they'll say, see, God only chooses certain people. There's even a group of Christians known as Calvinists, right, who believe this, that God has only chosen a few people. And I have a lot of reasons to believe that that is not remotely true or possible. But the main reason is because that picture of God, a God that created, imagine this, a God that created all human beings and then just said, any, many, mighty, mo, right? You get heaven and I'll let you go, right? That picture of God, that idea is so contrary to what we see and learn about God in Jesus Christ. 
In 1 John chapter 3, that he did not just die for our sins, but the whole world. That God wants everyone to come to salvation, 1 Timothy 2. That God doesn't want anyone to perish, 1 Peter 3, and so on and so on. And even if, even if you use this parable as our example, you can see that it doesn't mean that. The king in this parable doesn't do that. The king never says any, many, mighty, mo. The people that don't end up at the wedding party are, th- are not there because he selected them out, but because they selected themselves out. They rejected him. And God's love and God's grace are so big, church, that everybody gets invited, but you still have to embrace what God is doing in the world. You with me? Like, you have to join the party. And I want you to think about what Jesus says. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a party or a banquet. And the people on the guest list don't all want to come to the party. And so he said, other people come instead. And there are people that are, that are in the wedding, but are not in wedding clothes, and they get cast out too. He says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And this morning, I'm curious as you listen to this story that Jesus tells, do you put yourself on the guest list? Because the kingdom of heaven is like a party where everybody on the guest list doesn't really want to come to the party. Love has to be chosen or it isn't love. And I think part of what the parable is saying And this is the part that's a bit heavy, so brace yourself, is this. It is not enough to accept the invitation and think that nothing else in your life has to change. It is not enough to say, I believe in Jesus, but then think that your life can go on as it did before. It is not enough to think that you are going to be in relationship with Jesus and that nothing about you has to change. This is what the clothing is about in the last part of the parable. God doesn't care about your actual clothing, what you literally wear. What Jesus is saying that God cares about is your heart and your attitude changing. Another way to say it is if we give our lives to Jesus and are buried with Christ in baptism and we come up out of the water and nothing in our life changes, then we've missed the point. And if we're honest, many of us, right, in our tradition, in our history, we focus so much on that and not enough on things that happen after that, that maybe our lives haven't changed. We haven't fully surrendered and given ourselves over to Jesus. This would be like, this would be like getting a job and then never showing up to work. This would be like getting married and then continuing to act like you and live like you're single. A per- think about that example. A person who gets married but continues to think of me instead of we. They do whatever they want. They're the kind of person who wants the party but not the clothing, right? It's a mindset that thinks that all you need to do to be married is have a piece of paper that says you're married. But anybody that's married or anybody that knows anybody that's married, which is all of us, right, knows that marriage is a whole lot more than a piece of paper, a whole lot more than a certificate. In fact, the certificate, I would say, only has meaning if it reflects the reality of what's being lived between the couple. 
And the whole job of being a spouse is to take off the garment of singleness and to put on the garment of marriage. You have to dress for the reality. This is the way Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on your new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is wedding clothes language. Put away the old way of thinking. Put away the old grudge that you've held on to for too long. Put away the old attitude that is not becoming of a person who's been invited to God's party that is being thrown in honor of his son. And now since you are in Christ, clothe yourselves with Christ and join the party. Again, the thing about love is love has to be chosen in order for it to be love, but God is never going to force anybody People have to decide. It may feel like a sacrifice. For a lot of people, it may feel like a sacrifice if we go, well, I don't know. I mean, which I, I like what I'm doing now, but I see that party is really going to be great. It may feel like a sacrifice until you get into the party and you realize that wasn't a sacrifice at all. The wedding is going to be so much better than any other way that someone might be tempted to spend their time. God is inviting us in this story. It's certainly a message to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. It's certainly a message to the Jews of that day. And it is also a message to us, an invitation to surrender fully to the way that God is working in our lives and in the world. To be willing to be changed, to be transformed, to become more and more and more like God. If you, if you hear how Paul says it, he says we were created to be like God. You don't become like God without getting rid of some stuff in your life. Amen? But Paul says it's possible. It's actually possible for you to reflect God in righteousness and holiness. But you see all that language about old self and new self there, right? Those are connected. To get rid of the old self has to happen first in order for us to step into the new life and the new reality that God has invited us to. Will you stand with me this morning? As we close this morning, I want you to know that uh, everybody's invited to the party. The table is set and the barbecue has been prepared. And as we conclude today, my prayer is that we will see the kingdom of heaven is like a person that not only receives the invitation, but also like someone who puts on the wedding clothes and joins the party, giving their life over to it and trusting that whatever is ahead is better than whatever you left behind. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. You are dismissed.